0: This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin and this is Kelly and Ramia. Listen to us right from your TV. Novus subscribers channel 889. And Rogers Mountain, channel 889 as well. Visit ami.ca slash audio for a list <clears> of <throat> channel locations in your area. Kelly McDonald with Brock Richardson. Well, at this time, we talk about Monday staples. And this has been a Monday staple since the very beginning. And that is Know Your Rights with Danielle McLaughlin. Danielle, how are you? Ooh. I'm doing well, thanks. I understand you have a guest with you, Kara Zwiebel, that we're going to have a great conversation with this afternoon. Yes, I am really pleased that Kara Zwiebel, who is my friend and director of the Fundamental Freedoms Programme, for the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, has come back to speak with us today. I'm sure many of our listeners uh, are aware that Kara has been in the media quite a lot recently as one of the lawyers who represented CCLA at the inquiry into the use of the Emergencies Act. Hello, Kara, and welcome back.
1: Hi, Danielle. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, always a thrill. I'm I'm gonna get right into it, because there's just so much to know, and, and I think you're the person who knows it. Could you, <laughs> could you help us to understand what the Emergencies Act inquiry is about and, and what role you have been playing in it?
1: Sure. The So, um, as we, we probably remember, not, not too long ago, in uh, February of this year, the federal government declared a public order emergency in response to the uh, protests and blockades and occupations that were taking place, you know, um, in in Ottawa as well as in some areas near their border, um, and uh, and they by by declaring a public order emergency, they brought into effect a couple of um, emergency orders and were able to do some things that they otherwise would not have been able to do, like uh, compel tow truck drivers, for example, to provide services to remove large vehicles from, from downtown Ottawa or, or other other protest sites. Um, now, one of the things that the, the Emergencies Act does is um, it, it has a number of different kind of accountability tools in it. And one of those accountability tools is a requirement that there be a public inquiry following, um, you know, the, the use of the act. And so that has to take place within a certain period of time. Um, and so the Commission, the Public Order Emergency Commission, was, was is that inquiry. And they, um, unfortunately, unlike most public inquiries that, that have a more open-ended kind of schedule, under the Emergency Act, they have to report back to Parliament within a year of the revocation of the emergency. So that's the February 23rd, I think, was when, when it was revoked. Um, so they had a, a lot of work to do in a very short period of time, and a pretty um, substantial mandate in terms of looking at not just why the government um, invoked the, the Emergencies Act, but the measures that it used, um, the sort of events that led up to the invocation, and a number of different issues around uh, crowdfunding and misinformation that that the government had asked them to look into. So it was a very broad mandate, um, and then. Organizations and different parties could apply to participate in the inquiry, and so the Canadian Civil Liberties Association made an application to participate, and and we were granted uh, party status, so we could, um, you know, get access to all of the the documents and question witnesses that appeared, and um, and are now in the process of preparing our closing sort of written submissions to the to the commission.
0: That's a really tight turnaround, isn't <laughs> it, to to have it all done. <laughs> Within a year, that you must be working extremely hard on on this. Um, I'm I'm curious. The word emergency is something that we use in common parlance all the time, but how is it defined for the purposes of the Emergencies Act, or how is it even understood for this purpose? Yeah. So the
1: the um, the Emergencies Act has. Uh, a couple of different types of emergencies that, that can be declared. And and people might remember that um, in the kind of early days of the pandemic, there was some suggestion about whether the federal government should declare um, an emergency. The federal government is probably the only government in Canada that didn't declare an emergency during the COVID pandemic, but they could have used um, the the, uh, the I think it's called a public welfare emergency. Um, that, that's the section of the Emergencies Act that they might have used to deal with something like a pandemic. What they used in February was the public order emergency part. And and so the, the Emergencies Act defines national emergencies in certain ways. So a national emergency is supposed to be something that um, could pose a serious threat to the lives, health, and safety of Canadians or... Um, something that threatens our territorial integrity or sovereignty, um, and that can't be adequately addressed by by any other law of Canada. Um, A public order emergency is sort of that plus. So um, a public order emergency is something that um, arises out of threats to the security of Canada. And that is a term that is defined in the legislation by referencing another law, which is the the CSIS Act, so the Canadian Security Intelligence Services Act, so our spy agency, they are um, they have authorities to investigate threats to the security of Canada, um, and that term has a very or the phrase has a very particular meaning. Um, you know, it might involve things like espionage or foreign um, interference or other kind of covert activities that. Um, might result in you know, serious violence or threats of violence um, in Canada. And so a public order emergency is something arising out of a threat to the security of Canada that is also, you know, a national emergency. So that, that definition I raised earlier. So it gets a little bit complicated in terms of looking at the, mm-hmm. at the statute itself and j- jumping around. Um, but as far as how, you know, how do we perceive of an emergency? I think that's really a key question. And and I think part of what we're going to see with, with the commission when it eventually issues a report is, is, is the answer to that. Because, um, you know, it's the first time the government has used this legislation at all. Um, and they, um, you know, they very clearly tried to make the case at the commission that, uh, that this was a situation that had gotten out of control, that um, required tools that didn't already exist and that they needed to step in to address it. Um, and, and for them, that was enough. And they, they you know, in my and, and I'm, I'm editorializing, I think a bit here, but in my view, they um, that focus on sort of threats to the security of Canada, I would say they they took a, a fairly broad or loose interpretation because I don't think they ever um, really believed that this was a, um, a situation where the government was at risk of being violently overthrown.
0: Um, or even that there was. Therefore... my
1: next question. <laughs> yeah, is there <it's laughs> yeah.
0: evidence that that shows that they really thought that you know our democratic system was was at risk uh, because of all the, the the truckers and the honking and everything else? I, I mean, there, there's probably I'm, I'm sure that there is stuff that you've heard during this this commission of inquiry that you didn't know before the inquiry started. Yeah. Is, that, is that true?
1: Yes, yes, and I think I mean I think what we what we did here. Um, was, you know, I think there there was also a fair bit of evidence that we heard from different, both law enforcement actors and government actors about what we didn't know, you know, like mm-hmm. what, what they didn't know. Um, and that that was a big concern for them, that, you know, there was, there was a gap. There was all of these people gathering in these places and we didn't know. We didn't know what was in the trucks. We didn't know... Um, what might have happened? We didn't know all the connections necessarily between the different um, the different groups. Which it appears actually that there weren't really meaningful connections between different groups of protesters. Um, I mean, they they all I think interacted with each other on social media, but um, there wasn't necessarily the kind of coordination that I think people might have thought there was at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things also that we, we heard was that, um, you know, as far as the biggest kind of threat of an act of violence, there was a concern that maybe um, there would be sort of a lone wolf attack that would use the protests as kind of a cover or that um, that the the protests were sort of attracting people that were um, kind of Easy to prey upon for for people who are interested in kind of taking violent extremist action. so people so some we heard conspiracy
0: from some theories and that sort of yeah,
1: place. yeah, that there was there was kind of a receptive audience there, and so there was concerns about that. but you know I, I think we, we all obviously perceive threats in different ways my My view is that those things were are fairly you know um fairly kind of remote threats and and most of the evidence um, that we heard from law enforcement and intelligence was that, um, although these protests were very disruptive, and um, you know there were certainly um, criminal acts that happened, uh, people being harassed, maybe maybe people being assaulted, um, obviously huge disruption to business and and just you know peaceful life. <laughs> um, yeah. They were by and large not violent uh, protests. Um, they were, you know, by and large, fairly um, peaceful in the sense of being nonviolent. So um, I, I think if you and if you if you go back and sort of look at what the government said at the time, they were also very focused on uh, concerns about the economy and the, what the border blockades were doing to our our reputation internationally in terms of the economy
0: now would that be considered a national security issue that are are you know that the the border blockades or that the blockades of the city of ottawa um might affect business might might have a, a you know a bad effect on business is that a national security issue and 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 how do we even know
1: yeah so so it's i think you know there's probably as many <laughs> definitions of what that might mean as there are, as there are people in canada i would say no, um, at, at least on the terms of the legislation as it currently stands, I would say that's not um, a threat to the security of Canada within the meaning of the Act. Um, but it, it's clear that some of the the, the federal cabinet ministers um, did consider this to be a really significant threat, and were maybe taking a, a, a view of national security that's a bit broader. I, I think you know I think we have to be careful about about that. It's important to kind of especially if we're using national security as sort of a, a code word to mean we can use extraordinary measures, um, we have to be careful not to pack too much in there. I think if it if it starts to mean everything, then it, it sort of ends and up meaning nothing. nothing.
0: Yeah, for sure. Now, there seems to have been quite a focus on the issue of the police behavior in Ottawa and even police competence uh, at the time of the trucker blockade. Is that part of this inquiry that looking into how the police behaved and, and you know whether they the the emergencies act had to be invoked because the police weren't doing their job is is that part of the inquiry or is that a separate issue
1: It's definitely been a part it was definitely a big part of what um the the commission was hearing in terms of evidence so they're you know they, they heard from a lot of um people in law enforcement who were involved in, um, in responding to the protests. And then also from government actors who were, um, either, you know, c- communicating with police or were frustrated by what police were doing or were not doing or, or concerned about it. And, and it's kind of interesting that, you know, the, the, the commission also heard on a number of occasions about another commission of inquiry, the, the Ipperwash inquiry, which, um, I CPL, I also well, yes. participated. <laughs> yes, I'm sure yeah. you do. So yeah. <laughs> um you know, and one of the issues that 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 was that was significant in the Upper Washington crew was about um, whether you know politicians can direct police and it's it, right. it's pretty clear that they they can't direct police operationally. that police have to have you know independence in terms of carrying out investigations, deciding how they're going to operationalize their, their goals. Um, But it, in my view, there were some witnesses that I I think may have um, taken this question of police independence from government a a little farther than is justified. So there, there seemed to be a lot of tiptoeing around the police that that politicians were worried that they would be stepping over that line. Um, and you get a sense that maybe if everyone had sat down and had a really frank conversation <laughs> about things, um, it, it might have been better. Because ultimately, what the Emergencies Act did was was tell police in very explicit terms: um, start doing these things, right? Start uh, start clearing things. Start enlisting, um, you know, tow trucks to to clear roads. Um, so it really did not tell it,
0: giving them operational direction. This is, you know, you get those tow trucks and get them to take the trucks that are blocking traffic I mean, out, of, out of the city. That kind of thing.
1: Yeah, to an extent. I mean, ultimately, police still had to, you know, make decisions about how to go about doing those things. And and the truth is, I think we heard evidence that those were all things that they were planning to do. It was taking them a long time to to pull um, to pull that plan together and to pull the resources they needed to execute that plan together. Um, in, in terms of just the number of officers that they needed particularly in Ottawa to clear that um, you know to, to clear that protest but um, yeah but ultimately you know in, in trying to avoid sort of the, this stepping over this line I think we ended up with a, a more extreme approach which was using these extraordinary measures and you know and our view at the Ccla has has been that um, police did have to, the, the legal tools that they needed to, to deal with these protests. It took them a long time to get the resources they needed to to use those tools effectively. Um, mm-hmm. But but you know as, as far they as they're not have done being it sufficient, the
0: Emergencies Act in the view of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association.
1: And, yes, I think so. I mean, you know, lots of lots of the witnesses did say this helped. You know, it was it was a big help. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it helped. It was easier for people to understand on the ground there were these orders in place than for police to just say, we have these powers already, which which they do. You know, they have lots of powers under the common law to, to do some of these things. But um, it was easier for them to point to these emergency orders. So it's clear that it was helpful. Um, but, you know, again, our, our view is that that's not really the test. The, the test really is, was it necessary and, and was it proportional?
0: Now I'm afraid that we're going to run out of time but I have one quick question yeah. and that is um, when the emergencies act is in invo- is invoked it's in effect for the entire country um, there have been claims that this didn't the use of this act did not suspend Canadians rights and liberties just a did it suspend rights and liberties on in,
1: in some in some way? so I think it's a complicated question and um you know that the, the 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 Emergencies Act explicitly says that the measures that are enacted under it have to comply with the charter. Um, Mm -hmm. But the charter, as you know very well, um, you know, the limits that are placed on charter rights are assessed in terms of whether they're reasonable and justified. And in doing that, courts will look at kind of the overall context and the overall context of something that, you know, the federal government has deemed a threat to the security of Canada requiring emergency measures is a very different context than, you know, your average day. So uh, my view is that the measures that were in place would almost certainly fail a constitutional challenge in the ordinary course. Like if they were enacted today, just as regular laws, I think they would clearly violate the charter. Um, Whether, you know, because they were enacted in this context of an emergency, they were justified. That's, that's sort of a, a different question and I think um that's Sarah, why I, I find I'm, it
0: when the report comes out may, may I ask you back to talk about it again yes, yes I'm sorry I know time. what's going on I know and, I know we're short well, there's time. so much yeah. to say and I have so many more <laughs> questions so thank you so much for joining us believe me you will be hearing from me again
1: <laughs> my Later. pleasure thanks
0: again okay Thank you. That was Kara Zwiebel, Director of the Fundamental Freedoms Program for the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, speaking with us about the inquiry into the use of the Emergencies Act. Thank you so much, Danielle. Always a great conversation. And we do that on Mondays right here on Kelly and Company with Know Your Rights. We're back to wrap up the show and see what's up on Now with Dave Brown in one moment.